Okay, we are now starting a brand new series uh, on theology. We call it the foundation of our faith. I want you to look with me at Second Peter chapter one. Let me read you a few verses, and then we're going to talk today about what is theology. We'll take this week and next week talk a little bit about today what it is. Next week, why is it important that we study it? And we'll look at Ephesians chapter four. We'll talk about oh about six different reasons why it's important that we study theology. And then we'll begin in the month of May by studying the doctrine of the Bible. And uh, and I'll give you a list in just a minute of all of the doctrines that we're actually going to go through. Okay, Second Peter chapter one. Look at verse number one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's stop here for a second, and we'll do this as we go through these verses. In this verse, Peter identifies himself as an apostle. It's very important that you and I understand what an apostle is so that we get the picture of what's going on. An apostle was a specifically chosen individual, all men, in the early part of Jesus' ministry, and they were given a very special job. And this job primarily was to propagate in the early days of the church the gospel and the teachings of Jesus about the church. Now, there were two specific characteristics that these men had to have. Number one, these men had to be given by Jesus specific gifts. In other words, they were able to perform miracles. Uh, they were able to do special um, things to authenticate their ministry. But the second, and probably the most important of, of these characteristics, is these people had to have physically seen Jesus Christ, primarily the resurrected Christ. Paul defended his apostleship, and in that defense he said this, Have not I seen the resurrected Christ? Have I not seen that Jesus is real? Now, why is that important? Because these were men giving testimony to the fact that Jesus, number one, lived, that he is God, that he died, and that he rose again. He is alive. They were giving testimony to that. Now, you've also got to remember, when these men had their ministry, there was not a completed Bible. As a matter of fact, Paul references the fact that using Moses and the prophets, he used these scriptures to defend his faith and what he taught. That was the only scripture they had. When Paul was in prison in Rome, he told Timothy to come and bring the parchments, referring to the copies of the Old Testament law and the prophets that he would use to teach from. So they didn't have a New Testament. As a matter of fact, most of these guys were actually used to write the New Testament under inspiration. So these were very special guys given a very specific ministry to get the church and the gospel started after Jesus went to heaven. Okay? Now, as we continue, verse number 2, of course, uh, verse 1, Simon Peter identifies himself as one of these guys. Then he says this, latter part of verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. The second thing that Peter does 
as he identifies, first, I'm an apostle. So what I'm telling you is to help begin what Jesus wants us to do. Second thing he says is I'm writing to believers. I'm writing to those of you who have received a faith that is as precious as the one we got. So you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. You've been born again. So he's writing to believers. So what he is about to teach us is very, very important for believers. Um, there are a lot of things these guys wrote that were relative and direct, uh, addressed to those who were not believers. This, however, is for us as believers. So let's keep going. Look at verse number 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Okay, let's stop there. Grace and peace. Two very important parts of being a Christian. First of all, grace. Normally, when you talk about God's grace, most of us would initially think about salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by God's grace through faith in what Jesus did for us at the cross. Grace, very simply, is God giving us what we do not deserve. That's, that's really what it is. But I also want you to notice that he talks about peace. The peace of God in Philippians 4 and verse 7 is what Paul says guards our heart and our mind. In Proverbs 4, the Bible says that we are to guard our heart because out of it is the issue of life. Paul says the peace of God is one of the things that guards our heart. To make sure that in a moment of anxiety and unrest, we don't make what tandems out to be a stupid decision based on our flesh that we will regret one day. It is the peace of God that protects us from doing that. So, grace and peace are very, very important in the Christian life. Now, I want you to notice what he says about these two things. Because these are not two things that we just get one time and that's it. These are not two things that when we get saved, you got all of grace that you can handle and you got all of the peace of God that you can handle. Notice what he says. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Literally, he gives the indication that these two things need to constantly be growing and becoming more and more applicable in my life. As a matter of fact, when Paul went to God and said, Why have you given me this thorn in the flesh? Will you please remove it? As a matter of fact, Paul said three times I asked him to take it away. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient. In other words, I'm not going to take it away, nor am I going to tell you why, although Paul later explained he believed God gave it to him so he wouldn't get proud because he knew that would hurt him. But God said, my grace is sufficient. Well, if my grace is sufficient, then what was what is Peter talking about? Grace and peace should be ours in abundance. And God said, my grace is sufficient. You can use it to handle this. Literally, grace and peace growing in our life, all that means is the stronger I become as a Christian and the more I mature as a believer, the more real and applicable God's grace becomes to my life, and the peace of God begins to control my life. That's why, you know, when we talk about worry, 
We talked about our worry meter. And I told you I'm the worst. My worry meter goes way up. My shoulder won't let me go that high. And I worry about I'm a worry wart. I mean, I, I worry about stuff all the time. But when I worry about it and I pray about it and I see God take care of it, what does that do to my worry meter? It goes way down. Man, I shouldn't have worried about it. I kind of feel foolish. Why did I even worry about that? I asked God to take care of it. I should have just believed He would because He did. And over and over again, He keeps doing it and He just keeps doing it. Well, what happens after a while is the more I trust God to take care of these things and the more I see Him do it, the less my worry meter goes up next time. It's, it's a little less and a little less. What's happening? I'm learning more how to apply God's grace to the situations in my life. God giving me what I don't deserve. I learn how to realize God's probably going to keep doing that. I also learn how to apply the peace of God to my life so I don't worry as much. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. The way that peace comes is when I give my request to God and I ask Him to take care of it. As I do that and I watch Him answer prayer, the peace of God becomes more real to me, and so I don't worry as much. That's what Peter's talking about. Grace and peace those of you that have received the same faith I did, grace and peace, I want to be multiplied to you. I want it to more and more be in your life in more abundance. I want you to use it more than you've been using it. Now, where does it come from? Where do I get this grace and this peace? How, how do I, what do I plug into so that it becomes more real and it gets more abundant in my life? Look at the rest of verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through. Now, that's going to tell me where it comes from. This is what it comes through. This is the conduit from God to me that transports that grace and that peace into my life. Notice what he says. Through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through... Our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. So that through them, those promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Several times, Peter talks about our knowledge of God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So, what is theology? Theology is simply this, the study of God. The word theology comes from two words, theos, which is translated God, and ology, which is translated a form or a topic of study or the study of. So literally, theology is just the study of God. 
Now, it is not just the study of God, the person of God. It is the study of everything relative to God, which means everything. The Bible says that you and I live, we move, and we have our being, our existence, because of Him. Everything about us is relative to God. It is impossible for you and I to extract or leave God out of our life and expect to live life the way it was meant to be lived. Because everything about us is relative to God. So when we study theology or the study of God, we've got to study everything about our life. Okay? Now, let me um, show this with you. Theology answers a very important question. What does the Bible teach us regarding any specific topic? Do you know everybody has a theology? Everybody does. You do. You have a theology. You have what you think about God. You, you already formed that. An atheist has a theology. They have what they have formed as their belief about God. Their belief is that there is not one. So their theology is the study of God and why he doesn't exist. An agnostic has a theology. An agnostic thinks there may be a supreme being, but we can't know him or her or it or whatever it is. But we can't know it. So their theology, their study of God is the fact that there may be one, but we can't know him and how to prove all that. Everybody has a theology. As a believer, our theology answers this very important question. What does the Bible teach about any specific doctrine or topic? This is the most important for each of us as an individual. My theology is what I believe the Bible teaches about any specific topic. So that's why we want to spend some time, several months now, going through the topics in the Bible about God, so that you can form your own theology. And that's what we're going to spend some time doing. Um, specific doctrines are just what the Bible teaches about any specific topic. For example, bibliology is the study of the Bible. Soteriology, soterios, the Greek word for salvation, ology, the study of, it's the study of salvation. And so we're going to go through several of these, and we're going to study all of these. Let me give you a list of the ones that we're actually going to go through in our series. Beginning in May, we're going to study the Bible. Now remember, what's theology? Theology answers the question, what does the Bible teach about any specific topic? Well, the specific topic, we want to see what the Bible teaches about it, is the Bible. That's what we'll do in May. Then we're going to talk about God, the person of God. Then we'll talk about mankind, and in this we'll talk about sin, what, how are we made, what are we like, where did sin come from, what is it. Then we're going to talk about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and in these two topics we're going to begin to lay the foundation for number six, salvation. And as we will learn when we study the doctrine of man, we're all sinners. Well, how do we fix that? Number six is going to teach us what the Bible says about how to fix it. And number four and number five are heavily involved in number six. So that's why we need to understand what we believe about these. Then we're going to come to number seven, the church. What, what, why do we have Riverland Hills Baptist Church? Where did this come from? What is it? 
The Bible talks about the body of Christ. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God. What in the world are all those things? And, and why do we do this every Sunday morning? Why are we, we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches about that. Then finally, we're going to end up with a, a study of angels and demons. And somebody says, why would we study this? Because this is all great, but this tells you who your enemy is. And number eight is going to expose for you, when we get to demons and Satan, why he doesn't want you to know one through seven. And I promise, he'll do everything he can in the next several months to keep you from coming to learn about one through seven. Because he wants you to stay in the dark. And I'm going to show you in just a minute why, okay? So that, that's where we're going. Um, and like Gary mentioned, I want to encourage you to get you a little steno pad or a notebook and bring a pen and come every week. I will give you some basics, but I won't give you all the meat that goes in between all this stuff because it would be too much. And what we want to try and do is get through as much as we can. And, uh, and so I'm going to need you, I encourage you to take notes as we go through this, all right? Another thing we'll do is next week I'm going to bring a stack of 3 by 5 cards. I'm going to put them on the table out front. During our study or during your small group time, I want you to write down, uh, when we're sitting here, you can do it on, in your notebook, write down any questions that come to your mind when we're talking about these. Because we, we don't, because we're recording these and also because we're such a big group, we don't have time to stop and answer and address those questions here, but I want to address them. Because I want you to get your answers. So what I'd like for you to do is before you leave every Sunday, starting next week, any questions that came to your mind while we were studying, I want you to write them on that 3 by 5 card, and we'll have one of our little buckets up there. Drop it in the bucket. I will take those before I leave. Next week, in, as we start, I will, as much as possible, answer as many of those questions as I can from the previous week before we start the next lesson. Any of them that I cannot answer, I'll try to formulate an answer, and we'll send it out in an email, or I'll put it out on our website, okay? I want you to understand what you're going to find as we go through this. Knowledge is important. Wisdom and understanding are just as important as knowledge. Knowledge without wisdom and understanding is unproductive. And, and we're going to see that in just a minute, okay? So, go back to Second Peter. Let me share with you three things out of this passage in Second Peter about theology that are very important. Um, and, and I want to explain to you why. Normally, when you tell people, we're going to do a study through theology, they start thinking, seminary, deep, I'll never understand, Words that are 18 feet long, boring, monotone, O thou God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all of a sudden, your mind starts preparing you to sit in this class where I'm going to start snoring. Well, first of all, I promise you, I can't use those 18 foot long words because I ain't smart enough. Second of all, even if it was boring, I talk too loud, so you won't go to sleep. The third thing is, as you're going to see in just a minute, there are three things about theology that Peter mentions that if that is the only concept we have of theology, then we ain't doing it right. 
We're teaching it wrong. So let me share with you what these three things are to show you how we need to teach theology so that it's practical and beneficial. Number one, in verses one and two, we see that theology enhances grace and peace in our heart and mind. And we won't take time to read all of them, but verse two says, grace and peace is ours in abundance through the knowledge of God. All right, what is theology? It is the study of God. It is studying Him so I gain more knowledge of who He is and what He's like and how He functions and how things happen because of God. And Peter says that grace and peace are in my life in more abundance through my knowledge of God. So here's the deal. If I have grace and I have that much knowledge, you know, about a half an inch of knowledge, then i got a half an inch of grace. If I get three feet, of knowledge, then I go from a half inch of grace and peace to three feet of grace and peace in my life, which is probably going to benefit me a whole lot more than a half of an inch. That process of going from half an inch of knowledge to three feet of knowledge takes time. It is the process of learning. And as we increase in our knowledge, we also increase in grace and peace. So theology has to be taught in a way that we understand how theology helps me understand and apply God's grace and God's peace. That leads me to number two, verses three and four. Theology has to be practical for life. Look at verse number three. His divine power, God's, has given us everything we need for what? What's the next word in the NIV? Life. He has given us, through His Word, through His power, everything we need for life. Everything. Question. Is there ever a trial, a decision, a difficulty, a situation in my life that I cannot find an answer and help for in the Bible? Will there ever be one that I can say the Bible doesn't have the answer to this? Not according to this verse. He's given us everything we need for life. Now, let me explain this. This past week, I was at um, in Myrtle Beach speaking at a senior adult retreat for some of our senior adults. And one of the people that were there came to me and asked me this question. Many of you... Uh, heard about um, the lady and the gentleman who were shot and killed over in Ascot. Uh, Ryan and Rachel, my two youngest kids, are real good friends with their daughter, and evidently there were a lot of folks um, at our senior retreat that knew the family. And one of the, one of the people at the retreat came to me after one of the services and was mentioning this situation, and they made this statement. I know that you're not supposed to ask God why, but why? And I said, well, wait a minute. First of all, there's nowhere in the Bible where God says, you're not allowed to ask me why. Do you remember what Moses said when he was frustrated with the Israelites? Talking to God, he said, God, why did you make me leader over all these ignorant people? Why? Read all through the Bible. Godly men and women all through the Bible ask God why. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Now, that doesn't mean he's always going to tell me what I want to hear. It doesn't always mean he will fully explain everything. Remember Paul and his thorn in the flesh? Three times he said, God, please take this away. Why do I have this? God didn't explain why. He just said, my grace is sufficient. And the answer to your question of why may just simply be, I'm God. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. My grace is sufficient. But there's always an answer. Now, that's what practicality is in theology. How do I take what God has taught in the Bible about all these topics and learn how to use it in my life so that I can glean from it everything I need for life? That's why theology has to be practical. Who is God? So-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And the next question is, so what? So what? That's who he is. So what? What does that mean to me as an individual? Why is that important to me as an individual? So that's what we want to do. So Peter says, theology, number one, it enhances grace and peace in my life. Number two, it is practical. It gives me everything I need for life and godliness. And he says it's through our knowledge of him who called us. So through the study of theology, the study of God, gaining knowledge is where this comes from, okay? Then the third thing, and we're going to stop, it's never mastered, but it's always ongoing. I want you to look down with me at verse number 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. Now notice the next verse, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities... In increasing measure. These qualities are things that describe character growth in the Christian life. By the way, one of them is knowledge. Peter says, if you possess these in increasing knowledge. I hope that we all understand we are never going to be fully developed followers of Christ this side of heaven. The completion of sanctification takes place when we get to heaven, not here. So we are constantly learning how to be more and more like Christ. So this process is ongoing. We never master it. We have to constantly be learning. The truth is, I will learn things in the next several months as I study and prepare to help you. I will learn. Paul said, I do not consider myself to have apprehended, or literally to have arrived. Paul, the guy who wrote most of this stuff, he even said, I don't know it all. So, it's an ongoing process. But I want you to notice this. This is very important. If you possess these qualities, verse 8, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he says? If I am not constantly growing in my knowledge and I do not gain wisdom and understanding, and if I'm not applying it to my life, then I can have all the knowledge I want, but I become ineffective and unproductive. Have you ever known somebody who was a genius but an idiot? And I mean that nice. Have you ever known somebody that was so smart they were dumb? I mean, the truth is, there are all kinds of, individuals 
to gain knowledge after knowledge after knowledge after knowledge, but they don't know what to do with it. How would you like to go to the hospital and talk to a surgeon who's going to operate on your brain? Do you have a degree? Sure do. I've got a medical Ph.D. from Harvard Medical School. How long have you had it? I've had it for 40 years. How many? And what was it in? I'm a brain surgeon. I know there's a big technical word, but I don't know it, and I probably couldn't say it anyway. I'm a brain surgeon. How many brain operations have you performed using your knowledge? Zero. You're the first. Let's reconsider this. I mean, you, you want a guy like that to operate on your brain? Now, wait a minute. He's got knowledge. He's had it for 40 years. He's never used it. You know everything there is to know about God and die and go to hell. You know that? You know, Jesus said, even the demons believe in God and tremble. I mean, you know, stop and think about atheists. I mean, how dumb is that? If even the demons of hell believe there's a God. So knowledge doesn't make me productive. It's the wisdom and the understanding which creates the application of knowledge. That makes me productive. So that's why when we study theology, we want to make sure that we understand it has to be practical. And it is an ongoing process. We're never going to master it. We're never going to know the answer to everything. But we can increase in that knowledge. And as we do, Peter says we're better off to take a little bit of knowledge and learn how to use it than to have a whole lot of knowledge and do nothing with it. And so I'll leave you with this. There are a lot of people who go through um, every year a read-through-the-Bible program, which, by the way, I think is wonderful. Um, and you putting the Word of God in your mind will be effective, whether we realize it or not. But let me tell you what I would challenge you to do as you're reading those three to five chapters a day trying to get through the whole Bible in a year. When you're done... Find one verse with one practical principle that you can practice that day and take it with you. Now, you can't take all five chapters because unless you're a genius, and some of you might be, you're never going to remember all that. But if you take one practical principle and use it, it will do more to help you mature in your faith than all five chapters that you read and don't remember a thing. It's the application of knowledge that changes our life. So, what is theology? It's the study of God. So we're going to spend the next several months studying God in all of these topics. Okay? All right. We are going to go ahead and stop right here so we can break out into our small groups, co-eds and ladies and men. And um, remember, next week we'll have a chance for you to write down questions so we can start answering those. Okay? Father, bless our small group time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, have a great week, everybody.